Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. H.Y. Hanna's Oxford Tea Room Mysteries are for those who love TV shows like Inspector Morse and Midsummer Murders. They're twisty tales of revenge and death set in classic English villages. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler. And today, H.Y., who's known to her friends as Sin Yi, talks about her intrepid graduate sleuth, Gemma Rose, and her cheeky cat, how she became an Oxford student herself, and why traditional treats like Victoria sponge and scones with cream play such a big role in her stories. Just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to Sinye's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now... Here's Sin Yi. Hello there, Sin Yi, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting to be on my first podcast. <laughs> it's lovely. And, and I'd just like to mention for, for, for listeners that I'm in Auckland, New Zealand, and you're in Perth, Western Australia. So we've got a lot of our ocean we're crossing between us, haven't we? Yes. <laughs> Less though than I think between our readers and us, though. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Okay, look, beginning at the beginning, which is where I always like to start, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided you wanted to write fiction? And if there was a catalyst for it, what was it? Um, well, I think all authors will tell you they always wanted to write. So that's probably not a very original answer, but that's pretty much my, like, you know, as a little girl, I, I was always making up stories and, you know, sitting in my room with little, you know, those little figures of, I had little plastic animals um, that, that my parents bought me, little farm animals, and I enact little stories with them going back and forth, that sort of thing. So I guess I've always wanted to tell stories. And then as I got older, you know, once I could start writing, I wrote little stories in my diary, usually featuring myself, but, you know, going to buy an ice cream or something. But but they were all, you know, stories with a beginning, middle and end. Um, and so, you know, I, I think as you as you sort of grow up a bit more, you think that's what I would like to be a writer. And then of course, reality intrudes and you get a little bit older than that. And you realize, you know, that generally speaking, it's not, it's not like saying I want to be a doctor or, um, you know, uh, I don't know, account manager or something, you know, it's not as simple as that. And, and so usually, you know, you get to a stage where everyone's like, Oh, find a sensible job, you know, do a normal job. Um, so I sort of put that away for a while. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, I went to university, I did all the usual things and I, and I did um, a selection of different jobs, actually, because I was very much trying to do what I was expected of me. Yes. Um, and um, and then I I think it was one of those, I guess, I call them, I don't know, midlife crisis, for want of a better word, where I was approaching my 40th birthday. And I and I started thinking, oh, you know, what am I doing with my life? You know, where is it going? And and I guess you get that feeling of, oh, I better do what I really want to do now. Otherwise, life is just passing me by. Um, and I've been quite... 
I'm happy is a bit of a strong word, but I was never really, you know, really happy in any of the jobs I did. I tried various things and, you know, you enjoy it because obviously you enjoy doing your work well, but it wasn't where my heart was. And creatively, I was always very frustrated. Yes. Um, and so I, I think that was, it was really, it wasn't a particular trigger event, but it was more, I guess, my looming 40th birthday where I just thought, right, if I don't do it now, you know, it's never going to happen. And and I and I was actually quite lucky at the time. I was moving into writing anyway, in the sense that I was working as a freelance um, writer, journalist, sort of writing for various magazines. Um, and so I, you know, I was already used to the whole thing of you know working with an editor and you know having a piece commissioned, writing to a certain word count, you know, all those kinds of things. So um, you know, writing, I guess, for a living was already a sort. I was halfway there. I just wasn't writing fiction, yes, which is what I really wanted. Sure. Um, and then, and yeah, so I suppose that, and, and it just went from there, I suppose, you know, you, you think, right, this is the time now to really write that novel. I did actually, to be honest, I did, um, I did start writing novels in my early twenties. So when I was working in London, um, I did start several novels then, and I actually had one novel. I completed actually a couple then. Um, and I had one novel that got very close to publication. I had an agent in the UK, um, and it was, it got, um, considered by one of the big publishers there called Hodder and Stoughton. Yes, I know them. Um, yes. And yeah, um, and it got quite close to um, a book deal. But what happened was the editor who liked it left. She actually came to Australia. Um, and like all these things, you know, when the editor that likes your manuscript leaves and they were championing it, the next editor comes and they don't always like the same thing. And so that sort of fizzled out. And I think I wasn't giving myself permission very much in the sense that I, I tried it and then I thought, no, no, you know, this is me being silly again. I'm just you know, I need to go back and be do a normal job. Yes. Um, and you know, there's that expectation, I suppose. Maybe I, I maybe I put it on myself. I don't know. I'm also Chinese. You know, I'm Asian, and so I don't know if you know. You probably do know, but you know, in in Asian culture, <laughs> there's a big expectation that there are only four jobs that are acceptable. You know, you're a doctor, um, a lawyer, an accountant, or a teacher <laughs> or a dentist maybe at a push <laughs> you know those are the sort of acceptable professions if you want to be considered successful yes um and anything creative is oh my god you know <laughs> you want to be a creative you know it's a terrible thing to suggest so because there's no job security being a creative and so yeah, you know, yeah. i think with that culture it's it's very much you know you, you go with those respectable reliable you know co- professional careers yes yes I was just going to ask how you then decided that it was going to be mysteries you were going to write. Those first couple of novels that you did, were they mysteries? Mysteries? Um, the first one was, I, so I started with children's fiction because obviously as a child, I loved to read. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was the original, I'm sure lots of authors say this, but, you know, I was the child who walked around with the nose in the book all the time, you know, eating. And I used to go find a quiet corner and sit on the stairs and just read all day and get in trouble for not, you know, appearing for hours. Um, and so obviously I, I was very much wanting to pass that, you know, to recapture that experience I had as a child and to pass it on. Yes. Um, and also I love Nancy Drew as a child. Um, you know, when, I, when people used to ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I always said I wanted to be Nancy Drew because that <laughs> genuinely that's what I wanted to be. And especially I really wanted her red hair. I loved her <laughs> hair like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I thought, you know, I'd like to write a mystery series like Nancy Drew for, you know, for, ch- for children of the age I was when I got into books. Um, so that's middle grade is what they call it on the American market, um, sort of nine to 12 years yes. old. And um, and obviously I love animals. Um, and I had at the time my Great Dane 
Um, she's passed away now, but I had her at the time. And so, you know, it was very much inspired by her as well. And I also, the other book I loved when I was a child was um, The 101 Dalmatians by Dodie Smith. So this is the original, not not the the, um, Disney film. Um, which is darker, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, and I love the sort of tone of that book. And so it was very much a bit, I suppose, a homage to both. It was a combined thing of very much, you know, a group of dogs that are friends um, and and they tackle mysteries together. You know, the, you know, a puppy goes missing or, you know, something happens and, and, um, and they track down and using, and each of the dogs are from a different breed. And so, it, you know, it, the personalities are very much taken from the breed characteristics. So, for dog lovers, it was a bit of fun, you know, sort of the Jack Russell with the small dog syndrome and the, yeah, you know, the dopey yeah. Great Dane and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I did that. That was the first one that was. And then I, I dabbled a bit in a few other genres um, just because I think I wasn't, to be honest, I always knew I wanted to write mystery, but I think sometimes you're a little bit, I don't know, you're a bit afraid. Like you, you haven't got the confidence to do the thing you really want to do. The thing, you know, the, yes. the one the, the genre you love to read because you always think you're not good enough yes. to, to tackle that. Yes. Um, so, so I suppose, and also because, you know, I, I was listening, I guess, to probably, I'm very easily influenced on this by advice from people around me if they sound very confident, you know, yeah. because I guess I, I lack confidence myself. And so if they say, oh, write this, it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. I sort of think, oh, yes, yes, that's right. I must, you know, listen to someone much more experienced. And so I tried the various other genres and, 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 you know, like for example, I tried to write romance, um, sweet romance in my case, because I wasn't very comfortable writing sex scenes. So sweet romance doesn't involve any graphic um, descriptions of sex. You know, it's closed door mm-hmm. is what they call mm-hmm. it. Um, and, but I found I kept trying to put a dead body in the story all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I kept deviating from the plot line of, you know, in a romance, the important thing is whether the, the, you know, the boy and the girl get together. That's the whole point of a romance story. And I just kept wanting to put in, you know, people getting murdered or, 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 or suspicious activity and all this sort of thing. And then I, I finally sort of sat down and thought I'm writing the wrong thing, you know, but I really want to write this mystery. So I gave in to that. <laughs> yes, I think a decade or so ago, if a woman, an adult woman said they wanted to be a novelist, the automatic assumption was, well, write romance because it's so popular. But but you came upon your Oxford Tea Room mysteries, and, and that's the one that's really making your name at the moment, I, I think. And they're set in classic English countryside. They're for people who love Inspector Morse and Midsummer Murders. They're, they're the world that Inspector Morse and Midsummer inhabits. Were you also a fan mm-hmm. of those shows yourself? Yes, hugely, yes. I mean, obviously, having been at Oxford myself, you know, it was always sort of both fascinating and sort of, I guess, a bit of homesickness watching Morse on TV because you recognise all the places that they film. Yes. And, you know, you can go, oh, well, you know, that's so-and-so, and you know exactly what the colleges are. And, you know, because often they obviously change the names, which is what I do as well um, for, for well, for libel reasons. Mainly, yeah. I think. But, um but yeah, so I loved and Midsummer. Obviously, I mean, it's you know, it's set in beautiful English countryside, and you know, I'm very much I love cottage gardens and that sort of romantic English countryside look. So that that's you know appeals to me hugely. And also, you know, the whole thing of having that little village and the quirky characters, the the, yes. know, the odd neighbor, that yes. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, the setting you for the tea rooms is very authentic feeling. I'm, I'm I wasn't surprised to discover that you had been at Oxford. Tell us a little bit about how you got there. Were you studying um, at the arts there or? No, actually. So I did, I mean, I was there at, um, as, as both an undergraduate and a graduate. Um, I stayed on, mm-hmm. um, but I went, well, to university. There. I was at one of the colleges, um, uh, one of the Oxford colleges um, 
uh, doing biology, biological sciences is what they call it. So I was giving into the whole thing of, you know, you should do a proper degree. <laughs> um, and, and so I did a science degree. I mean, the school I went to was very, I don't know if old school is the correct term, but, you know, they had this whole concept that if you were bright and you did well, you did science. Yes. And, you know, you don't do arts unless you're failing, which is a terrible attitude, you know. And I and I really wanted to do, you know, philosophy and literature and history and all those arts type subjects. But in the school I was in, that was very much, you know, you, the classes were split in two. And so if you got good grades, you got moved into the upper class, which basically did physics, chemistry and biology. <laughs> um, and that's what I did most of my high school. So I did biology at university. Yes. Um, yeah. And then I stayed on and did a master's degree as well in social anthropology. So that was veering a bit more towards the arts, I suppose. Yes. But I have a very scientific background, though. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then how did, I wonder if, how you decided on some of the uh, aspects of the series. Like you've got a very spunky heroine called Gemma Rose and you've got a cheeky cat and that cats and various other animals appear frequently in your stories. And also there's a lot of humour and a lot of food. That seems to be a common theme. So I, I love the, the title of them are things like Tea with Milk and Murder and, and there's always a little bit of a joke there. How did you sort of come upon that that tone and that um, that sort of setting and and um, and really the whole sense of that world with people and cats and eccentrics and food and a lovely warm feeling about it all. <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's various things. I mean, partly a lot of I think any writer will tell you that a lot of of a lot of their books, but they intend to, and it's autobiographical. So I think a lot of Gemma Rose is me, without me intending that. I mean, she's you know she's quite uptight and, and anxious and about you know what people think, and, and that I, I can be a little bit like that. Like you know, you write a lot of yourself into your characters. Um, you also try and write some things that you would like to be that you don't, your heart that you put into your characters as well. Um, but definitely, you know, and her sort of fraught relationship with her mother is very much mirrored by mine. <laughs> you know, I have a very, um, I mean, I love my mother and she's lovely, but, you know, she's very, in her own way, quite, um, you know, she's quite bossy and she's quite, you know, it's quite mad sometimes. <laughs> and so a lot of my, of the scenes of Gemma struggling with her, you know, her exasperation with her mother um, is, is, is sort of inspired by my own relationship with my mother. Um, and some, some of the things like her mother's sort of technological um, issues are sometimes inspired by my mother-in-law, who's lovely, but you know, she struggles with her iPad. And that was actually one of those strange things I didn't intend it. Like I was just, you know, it happened at the time and, uh, you know, she was always losing her password and we were always helping her find it. And it was, you know, it was driving my, and, and, and I thought it was quite funny. So I put it in, I didn't realize it was struck such a chord. Like I've had so much fan mail about that particular scene. People writing to me saying that they love Gemma's mother or her relationship with her mother and that whole scene with the I, Apple, you know, password. Yes, um, yes. Because, because basically that's them <laughs> with their parents. And they they really relate. And I didn't realize at the time. So yeah, that's yeah. some of it, you know, is very much, I think, inspired without necessarily intentionally by your everyday life. Um, and as far and, as, I mean, the cat's obviously inspired by my cat, Muesli. I have a cat called Muesli. She's a little rescue tabby. Um, and so yes. the Muesli in the stories is inspired by my own cat and, and partly my own relationship with the cat because Gemma has a quite a, you know, in the beginning anyway, she isn't a cat person. Um, and the no, cat, that's right you know, she, she doesn't mean to adopt one. And, and, you know, the course of the story, things happen and she ends up with Muesli. And so there's a lot of initial back 
you know, with her learning what it's like living with a cat. And that's very much based on my own experiences because I'm definitely, I would say I was never a cat person. You know, my husband loves cats. And that was the reason we got a, we got, well, we got a kitten and a puppy at the time. So I was always the dog person. Um, and since then I've, you know, obviously come to appreciate cats, but you know, there's still, I think I would say Musi and I have a very, um, up and down relationship, you know, there are days where she drives me <laughs> mad, but a lot of that gets back into, feeds into the story, you know, so things yeah, various yes. like Musi in the story, trying to crawl into holes in the walls, um, you know, doing things yep. that drive Gemma mad. They're all taken from my real life experience with the real life muesli. Um, yes, so yes. that's that's helped, I suppose, that aspect of it. Um, sure. Now, tell me, has your mum got used to the idea of having a daughter who's a, a writer rather than a scientist now? Yeah, she has actually. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> very proud of me now. But I think at the beginning, I mean, she's always been. She's never been a you know terrible. What do they call it, tiger mom or whatever they call it? She's always yes. been very supportive. Yeah. From that, I think maybe a lot of pressure was put on me by myself, you know, because I, I was, yes. very, you know, like the girl that I was a very irritating girl at school, like Hermione, who always did her homework on time and who did everything <laughs> was expected of her. So, yeah, I think it wasn't so much her as me. But, yeah, she has. I mean, she's very proud of me. <laughs> but, um, uh, sorry, going back to what you were saying about the, the tone and stuff, but that, uh, partly um, I was going to say that was also because, you know, I, one of the things I learned in the course of writing several books or several different genres is that it's very important to meet reader expectations. Um, and, you know, when I when I started deciding I, I was going to write mystery, I had to obviously decide which type of mystery because there, there are lots of different types. Um, and I read all of it. I mean, I read crime fiction and I read, you know, everything from psychological suspense to cozies to, I don't know, police procedurals to, you know, the whole range. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but I realized when I was doing a bit of research that, you know, in cozy, that there are certain expectations, you know, the obvious ones like no swearing, no sex, no graphic violence. Um, mm-hmm. But often there is an expectation of a setting that's, you know, a small setting, like a community and with quirky characters and they're light stories with a lot of humor. Um, mm-hmm. And often, you know, the readers enjoy learning about a hobby or a craft. And, the, and also, obviously, they're usually animal lovers. And I mean, the animal thing, I just, because I'm an animal lover, it sort of comes in naturally. But um, so I was aware of some of those things. I tried to make sure that, you know, I was I, you know, I didn't put in something that the readers of Cozy's would think, oh, oh, no, I don't want to read about this. You know, this isn't what I was yeah. expecting. That's so, right. um, yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think the setting helps because it's, you know, it's in the English countryside. It's in Oxford. So it's a, it is a small town in the English country. So that gives that whole tone to it. And It, it has a real resonance. People know what, what to expect, don't they? They know what they're going to get if you set something in an area like that. They have an expectation. Oh, you hope of, so. Yeah. Mm, mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you can't buck the trend, but I think you, you have to be a bit careful sometimes. I think it's <laughs> it's it's a bigger challenge to you know to fulfill expectations, but do it in a sort of original and fresh way. I suppose. You, yeah. You, yeah. That, that's sort of the real challenge. <laughs> and then your other mystery series, the Bewitched by Chocolate series, is that one a more recent series than Oxford Tea Room Mysteries? You started with the Oxford Mysteries, did you, and then went on to Bewitched by Chocolate? Yes, yeah. So that came the year later, actually, and it's actually doing very well at the moment as well. Um, I, I could get fans emailing asking me when the next book's coming for that. But the problem with doing different series is you then have to split yourself, you know, between your series and, 
and yeah. you know it gets hard. It, like you want to try and keep everyone happy, but there's only you can only write so fast and, and only produce one book at a time. You know, it's a bit like carrying a baby. You can only carry, well usually <laughs> you carry one at a time. Yeah. Um, and so you know until you go through the whole pregnancy and, and give birth, you then then you start the next one. But um, but yeah, so that one came later, and um, it's also set in the Cotswolds, so it's got very similar. Um, sort of feel in the sense of the beautiful English countryside that, you know, the whole, you know, people, a lot of my readers are, um, I think they call them Anglophiles, so people who love the English mm. kind of thing, yes. you know, English afternoon yes. tea and the whole Englishness of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of that. Um, but um, the only difference really is that there's an element of paranormal in it because I've always enjoyed, I mean, I love mythology and, and legends and that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so yes. a lot of that got fed, you know, a lot of the bewitched is based on English folk legends and, um, you know, sort of old English mythology, that sort of thing. So that got fed into the stories because um, I just thought it'd be interesting to explore, you know, that side of things. And there's obviously a food element, because as you said earlier, I, I love food. I love eating it. Um, and, and um, well, as opposed to doing anything. <laughs> to say. But you know what I mean? Like, I just, I love eating. Like, you know, I wake up in the morning, my first thought is, what am I going to have for breakfast? And then I finish breakfast, I think, what am I going to have for lunch today? <laughs> and so I'm always looking forward to my next meal. And I love describing food. And so I think that comes through, you know, very much. Um, very and with much, the, yeah. With the Oxford series, that was very much focused on British, traditional British baking. So scones and you know victoria sponge yes. sort of thing yes um with yeah. the bewitch by chocolate i was it's focused more on chocolate so and because partly also i i love the film chocolat um and yes all you know i watched some things about how how they make chocolate and you know the, the people watch you not not you know your standard kind of mars bars but the the chocolatiers and all these sort of it's, it's almost like an art you know what they managed to oh, do yes chocolate. it's yeah. amazing yes. so i really yeah. wanted to bring some of that into the series um and and i thought it'd be quite fun because you know witches are always about herbs and potions and i thought oh it'd be quite cool if they were you know the powers were linked to chocolate and it, it was all a food kind of related type thing. So, Tell me, do you like to cook as well? Um, sometimes. I have to say, I'm not a very good cook. <laughs> I'm very impatient. And so, you know, I, I, I'm i very bad at following recipes. Like I'll read it and then I'll think, oh, you know, I can't be bothered to measure out 10 grams <laughs> or whatever it is. It'll, it'll be fine. I'll just put a bit of this. And I think I'm Jamie Oliver, but I'm not Jamie Oliver. <laughs> I scatter things in and it doesn't come out right. <laughs> but um, occasionally I, I manage to get it right. But overall, no, I wouldn't say I'm a very good cook. <laughs> look, turning from specific books to your to having a look at look at your wider career, is there one thing you've done more than any other that you feel may be the secret to your success? Oh God, that's a really hard question. That one because I don't know. I mean, I, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. Um. I guess, I mean, like the the usual answer they'll say is any author is persistent, you know, like you should just not give up. But, and that's obviously very important. Um, I think in my case, I would actually say just being myself because there've been several instances from a career point of view where I've had advice from people to do, you know, what the done thing is. Um, Mm. And I've struggled with it because it's not me. And so, and then sometimes I've taken the decision just to be myself. And I I don't know, you know, whether that was the right decision. Like one example is like my newsletters. I have, you know, I have a very chatty style. It's just the way I talk as well. And I find it very difficult to be, you know, formal and succinct. And I and I know that there's a there's a feeling, for example, in a lot of the author community that newsletters should just be like an announcement thing of, you know, like you should just tell people about your new releases and or a sale that's coming up and that's it kind of thing or about book recommendations. Um 
And, and, you know, that was very much the sort of advice given quite strongly, actually, that, you know, anything else is considered spam, which I always thought was very, and it was almost like, why would writers, you know, why would readers sorry, sign up to you in the first place if, you know, I mean, I, I sort of feel like, well, Amazon and a lot of those big people can tell them about book deals or things. You know, part of the reason for me, anyway, if I signed up as a fan to someone is because I want to find out, I'm, I'm interested in, in the whole process and in maybe the background of in the books and the characters, that sort of thing. You, 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 so I was going to say that you you did a lovely thing on your blog, and I think you did mention it in your newsletter as well, about that trip that you did to Vienna to celebrate your 20th wedding anniversary, a long-planned trip of celebration, which was also paying homage to the author Mary Stewart, a, a, a very well-established older author. Um, and you really published a lot of photographs of all the things you'd done and and there was a lot of pleasure in just being able to share in that and it was very generous I think that uh, yeah I, I mean I didn't do that that's what I mean like I, that's sort of me and I I find it difficult not to be quite personal and chatty and you know I mean actually that trip was a research trip as well so it wasn't it was just lucky that it coincided with my 20th anniversary <laughs> and you know I mean sounds weird I say that but but it was I had been intending to write a book um in, set in Vienna and so it was very fortuitous I suppose that everything happened at the same time and so I took loads of photos partly also for research purposes yes. um, so I'm a very visual person um, and so I need often I need one picture to write a scene like you know to, to, as, as the stepping off point yes. um, but yeah I mean I you know I, well I love taking photos and and it's nice I used to write a blog um, like for quite a long time actually um, and so it was quite you know I'm used to doing that like sharing photos and telling people a little bit about the background around, you know, an experience or a journey. And, and I find people generally really enjoy that because it adds an extra dimension, I suppose. Yeah. And, and in that case, it definitely did because the story, you know, once I came home from the fresh from the trip, I wrote that book um, very much based off my, my trip. Um, and, you know, you can actually literally see places I've been and I've incorporated it into the story. And that was Apple Strudel Alibi, was it? Alibi, yes. yes eight, number it, yeah. eight in the series. Yes, yes. I thought it was nice for a change also just to, to go away from Oxford for a bit. And, and you know, Austria is very much still in the same vein. I mean, it's beautiful, romantic European city. And, and oh, my God, the pastries and the cakes, you know, it's, it's just a slightly different country. But the cakes are amazing. I think I put on three kilos in <laughs> week or so there. Oh, that's wonderful. Look, if you were going to um, tell your readers where to go in Oxford, a kind of magical mystery literary tour, to for the Oxford Tea Room series, where would you recommend people go? Have you got any thoughts about that? Um, yeah, I actually do have a um, a blog or two. It's a two part blog post on my website, oh. which which again details um, when I returned to Oxford. So I made a trip back to Oxford in 2016, which is the first time I've been back in 15 years since we left the UK. Actually, yes. Um, and I took again lots of pictures. I mean, it was lovely revisiting a lot of the places which are featured in my books. Um, and some places hadn't changed at all, and some obviously had. Um, and so I put, you know, I've put all the pictures and you know mentioned there. And so people, um, readers can actually basically literally look at those blog posts and see, you know, if they want to visit um, settings in the book. Um, but definitely, I, mean, I could give you a list, but it, it's all mentioned there. But I mean, the one thing people often ask me though is that, um, like, where can they go for afternoon tea in Oxford? You know, to to replicate the experience. And unfortunately, in Oxford, there isn't actually like a little tea room. Oh. Um, you know, the, you can get you can get them um, like a formal traditional English afternoon tea in the Randolph Hotel, which is like their 
one big posh hotel in the city because Oxford City Centre is not very big mm-hmm. um, and you get a beautiful, you know, the whole sort of four-tiered sort of English tea service but it's quite formal in these beautiful drawing rooms, you know, in 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 the Randolph which is an old, I think it's a Gothic, neo-Gothic building or Victorian, I can't remember. Um, and um, But if you want an actual like little tea room experience, you have to go out of Oxford really into the Cotswolds um, and the place that I was, when I thought of the Little Stables tea room, um, it was partly inspired by a tea room that I always used to go to when I was a student there. We, you know, on a Sunday out morning, we'd go for a big walk out in the country sometimes and then finish off having tea there. Um, and it's in a village called Burford, uh, B-U-R-F-O-R-D. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I'd be meaning like that's the part three of my post. <laughs> I haven't got around to it yet. But so I was, I had pictures for that, um, for the tea room in Burford. So it's still going. Which was very much... Yes, it's still going. It's, I think it's been going for 200 years or something. Oh, it's a wow. really, really long time. Wow, amazing. I can't remember the name now. It's the top of my mm, head now. Mm. I think something like Huff, Huff something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, that's very much your traditional tea room. Yes. Well, that's wonderful. That's fantastic. My mum was actually born in Oxford, I must admit. So I, although oh, I, right. I, I've never, well, I went there once, but I've never spent any time there. Um, she lived in New Zealand oh. for all of her adult life after her marriage. And um, she married a Kiwi. Right. But um, I, funnily enough, I've still got a funny kind of place in my heart for Oxford just because of all the old Aww. photographs on the walls and things like that, you know. Mm. Yeah, no, you should, I mean, you should definitely try and visit. I mean, even if it wasn't, you know, if you just, because the books are very much set in and around Oxford, if you just visit, and as I said, the centre is quite small, if you just walk around, you know, you can practically see a lot of the, you know, yeah. and I do mention by name all the pubs. So basically, you know, all the pubs and places in my books that I've mentioned are real places in Oxford. The, the only thing that's changed is the college names. I change all the college names, which is in the same tradition of Morse and Lewis. Yes, yeah. um, mainly, mainly because, you know, they wouldn't be very happy if you started suggesting that they're the college master as a potential murderer <laughs> or something. Right. So, so, you know, anywhere you need a bit of creative license, you tend to change the names. But, the you know, I try and include usually in every book um, one point of interest, like a, an attraction in Oxford, so that people can visit there. So, you know, like a famous pub or, or there's a lovely, lovely um, pub called the Turf Tavern, which is tucked right under. It's, like, it's almost like hidden um, and most tourists don't know about it. So that's mentioned in my blog post. Um, and, you know, the, the little things like that are, are all, and obviously the big colleges to, to visit. Yes. Um, the, the one thing that strikes a lot of people, especially I think America's, is that Oxford University doesn't have a campus as such. So the city is the campus. So that's, you know, often people always ask that. Like when I was studying that, you know, you'd come across very bemused looking tourists. So I was like, can you tell me where the university is? Where's the campus? And you say to them, you're standing in it because the way the university grew up, it grew up in and around the actual city or the city grew around the university, whichever way you put it. Um, and so as you walk around downtown, you know, the city, not downtown, the, the center of the, the, the city of Oxford, um, the colleges are all around you. The libraries are around you, etc. So, it, there isn't a set, you know, a separate campus as such. So, moving along, the series is called "The Joys of Binge Reading," and we're also very interested to know about your reading habits. Um, do you binge read yourself now? Do you even have time for it? I imagine that in the past you probably did. Who are some of your favourite authors, and who would you recommend to others? Um, I mean, I I don't know. I binge. I read continuously. <laughs> yes, now I don't read so much because yeah. I find if I'm writing, um, I'm really bad when I'm reading. It's like a drug, you know. I can't stop if it's a really good book. If it's not, a, if it doesn't hold my interest, I chuck it and I start the next book. So I sort of think life's too short to persist. I'm, I'm not one of those with that, you know, must finish a book. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. If it doesn't capture me in the yeah. first couple of chapters, I leave it. I go on to the next. But 
Um, if it's good, I just yes. want to read it constantly. Like I don't want to do anything else. And I stay up till 3 a.m. reading it and I don't want to work. And so <laughs> I have to do a self-imposed yeah. um, fast, I guess, reading fast where, where, you know, I don't read when I'm <laughs> writing, which unfortunately because because I'm writing so much these days that I don't read as much as I used to. So I read between books. Like when I finish a book, I, you know, I, I indulge for a week. Um, and then, yes, I do binge read in, in that week and, you know, get a couple of books in before I, to, before I start again. Yeah. Um, and um, I actually don't, at the moment, I mean, I read Mysteries and Crime Fiction all my life. And now that I'm writing it, I find I don't often want to read it just because I guess it feels more like more work. Um, you know, you want to do something totally yes, different. Yeah. So my yeah. other, my, my guilty pleasure is um, young adults, dystopian and fantasy. I love oh, yes. YA. Um, yeah. dystopian so you know all the stuff yeah. like hunger games that sort of but also the the light fantasy um and so one of yes. my favorite authors for that is a, an american author called laney taylor l-a-i-n-i and then taylor um and oh, yes. she, she's got yeah. this, um, her first yeah. is called daughter of smoke and bone and i guess i love it because it's got it's very steeped in mythology and legends but not not the shallow stuff you know not not the things that people just talk about every day it's, it's she's obviously done a huge amount of she knows she has a lot of knowledge and it's very interesting um more unusual type of mythology. Um, but mainly I love her because yes. her writing is so beautifully descriptive. And I, I'm not, I know, you know, now there's a whole thing of, which I think is a little bit like throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but where people tell you, especially in writing classes, don't write descriptive prose, don't write long descriptions because nobody wants to read them and it's very boring, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think it's a great shame. It's like a lost art, you know, that older authors used to write mm-hmm. beautiful descriptive prose. And nowadays people just, people write mostly short clipped you know, things. And there's a lot of telling, you know, like it, it was blue without actually really giving you the sense of it. Um, and obviously there are times when it's yeah. good to just tell. You don't want to always be waxing on. But but I think it's a lost art, really. You know, and there's a lot of dialogue. But, and, and, you know, readers say they don't, you know, want to read through lots of description. But I sometimes think it's just there isn't, you know, there's good description, there's bad description. And I think it's a lost art now. Yes. But a lot of people just don't even start yes. trying to learn how to describe well because you know, they think they think it's all bad. Um, and that's something readers often tell yeah. me. It's one yeah. recurring comment I get from readers a lot, that they love my books because of the vivid sense of setting and because they can almost taste the scones, you know, when I write about them. They feel yeah. like they could be there, yes. they could be touching. They, you know, it's very, very vividly described. Um, and, and, I, and that's yes. mainly because I yeah. love books like that. So I, I love books where the writer really... Yes you know, is, is painting a picture with words, if you like to use a cliche. Um, and Lainey Taylor does that yeah. beautifully. I mean, you know, you, you could read her word and it, it really, she, her first series is set partly in Prague. And I love books where when I read them, I want to go there. That to me is a really book, you yes. know. Yes. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, so she's one of yeah. my favourite authors. I guess going back, looking backwards, you have mentioned that Mary Stewart. Yes, was she's another one, one who's your... very good at that. I mean, oh my God, some of her, you know, I used, to, I mean, I have all her books and I read them in, in rotation, like as a as a comfort, you know, like I could quote <laughs> from them probably. I love Mary Stewart, but um, I very most vividly remember like one of her stories. Um, the heroine is sort of, I think, on the run and she stops for a moment, like she's hungry and she's tired and she's in a car chase and she gets out of the car and just, you know, because she's she's so hungry, she has she stops at some small garage. And they make something, I think it was an omelette or something. And anyway, she describes this meal that she gets given. It's just a really simple thing. But I vividly remember she describes how the, the bread, the slice of bread was warm and that it left little um, condensation droplets on the plate when she lifted it up. Oh, yes. And, oh, my God. Yes. And it was such a tiny little observed detail. But, you know, when I read that scene, I literally, I could taste, I could feel and I could taste that freshly baked, still warm yeah. bread 
you know, with the crusty outside. Yeah, yeah, moist yeah. But just because she mentioned that tiny bit about the condensation, which is so true, isn't it? When you pick up a piece of bread that's freshly yes. baked, it leaves that tiny bit of... Yes. Dew. And I just, and that sort of thing. And I always remember that. And when I write, you know, a lot of that is, is I mean, I don't think you consciously do it, but you, if you love that kind of writing, that's what you tend to do, you know, and hopefully my readers yes. do tell yes, me that's don't. sort of what yeah. comes across. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, we are starting to run out of time. So just circling around back to the beginning, at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all over again, if you were setting out now, what, if anything, would you change about the way you've approached things? Oh, God, <laughs> these are always really difficult questions. Um, <laughs> I suppose, I don't know. I, I It's easy to say, as I say, because hindsight's twenty twenty. but I think I would have just got into yeah, mystery earlier because I, I don't know if waste is the right word, because I don't think anything's wasted. I think as an author, it, you know, it always helps to write different things because it, it makes you a better writer in a way by trying different genres and having different experiences. Um, and I've gave, definitely, you know, learned things and gained fans from writing the other books. But I think if I was going to do it again, I would have given myself permission maybe to be brave and just dive into mysteries a lot earlier. Like, you know, because... Once I got into it, it was so comfortable, it was so me. And and the books were very successful straight out of the gate, you know. So obviously people were responding yes. to you being against what I said earlier about being myself, which is what it was. Yes. Um and so yeah. I suppose trying to follow your own drum, yeah, beat your but own that's drum so difficult. Than, I mean, I don't like yeah. to say that because sometimes people often say, Oh, write what you love and that oh, doesn't always work either because I mean, you know, the first books I wrote were what I loved. You know, this I have a series set um that's very much a romantic sorry, romantic suspense of the style of Mary Stewart, you know, it's, it's that old fashioned romantic suspense, um, which doesn't have sex and all that sort of thing in it. But, um, and it's, mm -hmm. and that is what I love, but it isn't really what the market wants. So I think you've tempered what you yes. love yeah. sometimes with, you know, what, what I said earlier about reader expectations, but yeah, I mean, you can yes. find something, yeah. you know, in my yeah. case, it's obviously worked, but yeah, I would, I would, you know, I don't know whether you could say that because you can't consciously say give, you know, have more confidence in yourself, which is really what comes No, no, that's right. And some people get a lot of success out of what that little phrase, right to market, that Chris Fox talks about. Some people have tremendous success at that. I just don't think I could do it, but a lot of well, people see, do have success. Well, see, I think the definition of that's often been confused. I mean, for me anyway, like I think right to market can either mean that, meaning right even something you don't really like, but just because there are readers for it, which I personally couldn't do. Um, but to me, right to market means what I was saying about meeting reader expectations. So, you know, yeah. if I wrote yeah. my Oxford Mysteries, but there was lots of, I don't know, graphic sex scenes in it, my readers wouldn't be happy, even though it's set in Oxford and it's, it's you know, got all the other. Yeah, that's what right. I mean. So it's or if it was suddenly very dark or something. Yeah, yes. I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I have to be quite careful with that because I'm, I tend to often write dark naturally um, without meaning to. And then I have to lighten it up afterwards and remind myself, no, 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 <laughs> you're writing a cozy mystery. You're not writing psychological suspense. We can't have, you know, that in it. Or And humor doesn't come easily to me. Which I, I always find it like my readers are lovely and you know, they always find they tell me they love, you know, scenes and it's very funny. But I don't like I never I don't know. It doesn't, you know, I, I sort of try and write a situation that I think is, is awkward, but I never know whether it's funny or not. And I'm often surprised when, you know, readers tell me they find so-and-so very funny. Um, I'm yeah, glad. Yeah. I'm very grateful, but it's not <laughs> something that comes to me naturally. And so, yeah, again, I mean, but I'm conscious that that's, you know, expected and you try and like, keep things light if you can. Yeah. 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 So what is next for Sinyi, the writer? What projects have you got under development at the moment? 
Um, oh, I'm, I'm starting a new series next year, which is very exciting. So I'm just um, preparing now, actually. I'm, I've been plotting this week. I'm doing lots of sort of brainstorming and research. Um, and then I'm actually supposed to be, well, starting writing about now. <laughs> I'm usually late. Like I give myself little word limits, you know, what I should be getting to every day. But usually I'm behind. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to make it up tomorrow. But um, yes, yeah, so I'll be, I'm starting to write that. Um, and so that'll be launching early next year a new mystery series. Um, and then... Can, can you give us any hints about setting or time period? or? It, well, it's in contemporary like the others, and it's, it is, um, it will be set in England as well. Um, yes. Yeah, a little yeah, hint. Yeah. It's actually, I've recently got into gardening, and I love it. I'm like... Oh, I'm wonderful. Like, I'm really passionate about it. I just, I just, it makes me so happy. You know, I walk out, I look at my garden, and, you know, I said I always love cottage gardens, so... Um, I yeah. love color. And I, when I walk out and see the color, it just makes me smile and puts me in a good mood. So, um, yes, it's related to, to gardening. Sounds uh, really fun. Sounds very much in, in line with the other ones you're so. doing. Yeah. I mean, you never yeah. know with a new series. You know, you always, there's always that massive leap of faith, I suppose, that you hope the readers will enjoy it as much as your old ones. So it is a big commitment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, well, fingers crossed. <laughs> And when you say you've been plotting, how many books have you sort of got already thought out? Is there more than more than one, I presume, is there? No, actually, I don't plot very far in advance. <laughs> I mean, I don't okay. know. Some no, that's good. Do, so, yeah. but I, 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 can't, I find it quite difficult to. I mean, I have a general premise. So I often have a running background plot that I know will, will be resolved as the books move through the series. So usually, like, there's obviously yes. the main plot, the mystery plot of who gets murdered, who are the suspects of what happened. And that's yes. wrapped yeah. up in every book. But I like my series to have a long-running background plot as well because I think it was just yes. not as another layer of, you know, to the characters. Yes. Yeah. Um, in the yes. Bewitched series, that's yes. the strongest, where obviously you don't know, you know, um, Caitlin, the main character, where her background, where her mother is, you know, what really happened to her as a baby when she was found abandoned, all this sort of thing. And so that's all going yes. to be revealed yeah. later. Yes. But I, so I have a vague idea mm. where that's going. But as far as um, detail stuff, no, I have. I'm not. I don't think it was J.K. Rowling what they said. Oh, we had, you know, seven notebooks of notes with every book plotted already, and that's not me. <laughs> I find also <laughs> if you do that, it just doesn't work. Like for me, anyway, I deviate too much from a from a plot that's too intricately plotted. So I do have a rough-eyed outline for each book, and I know where you know I'm going roughly. And obviously, you have to know who's because I always work out who was the killer, and I work backwards from there usually. Yes. Um, yeah. But otherwise, no. I, it's it's quite loose. You know, I, I have a premise, but I think if you still have a good premise, like a good sense of conflict, so who the characters are. So, for example, my Oxford series. You know, I knew Gemma's background. She comes from this middle class family, very proper. She's quite sort of uptight herself a little bit, and you know, you have all that conflict there where her ex boyfriend, you know, who comes back into her life, came from a working class family. There's obviously class conflict there, and with her mother and her you know, social circle, her, their expectations. So she's got to res- come to terms with, you know, whether she chooses her own happiness with a man that possibly her parents don't approve of or, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, yes, so that's all yes, there. It's yeah. not a specific plot. Yeah. It's it's a background conflict. Yes, um, yes, and obviously her yeah. own issues with standing up to her mother and that sort of thing, which isn't resolved overnight. I mean, I sometimes get fan of people saying, oh, I wish she would, you know, do this or whatever and I and I, I see where they're coming from but you know I know from my own experience like your relationship with your mother is you know isn't easily sort of resolved overnight you, you know you're their no. behavior and and in the end of the day you, you know you can only change so much you, you are your mother's child so. yeah that's right that's right look we are starting to come to an end we've sort of run out of time for today so 
Where can readers find you online? Do you like to interact with your readers online? Uh, yeah, I do. I'm on Facebook. I have to admit, I'm not very good on social media. So I, you know, yes. but I try to be on at least once a week or every few days I try and check in. Um, but yeah, I have a Facebook page. Um, it's HY Hannah Author. Um, and, yes. um, so readers can find me there. And I always try and answer any questions. You know, I just might be a few days late, but I, I do always try and answer questions there. And I post about upcoming you know, releases and news. And I also post lots of photos and just general, yes. you know, behind the scenes or general sort of, a lot of stuff about music actually, because a lot of my readers are cat lovers. Ah, yes, that, that's always a popular one, isn't it? And and I know you've got a lovely newsletter. So um, how? Yes, so that's probably the best um, in terms of getting, definitely getting news, because obviously Facebook's a bit unreliable. Um, I have a newsletter. It's just hyhannah.com slash newsletter, like forward slash newsletter. Um, or if you just go to my website, um, you can sign up from there. And then that way readers, you know, will definitely inform whenever I have a new book out, whenever I have giveaways. Um, and, and I usually run, like, I don't do a lot of giveaways, but if I do, they're exclusive to my um, subscribers usually. So yes, there are things like yes. signed copies. Because I live in Australia, signed copies are very difficult. Um, and I'm sure you know that. Um, and yes. So I don't do a lot of signed copies, but I, you know, if I do, it's always to my subscribers um, and various other gifts. Like when I went to um, Vienna, you know, I brought gifts back um, and that, you know, I did give away for that for, for my sort of loyal fans. So um, yeah, that's probably mm -hmm. the best way to stay in touch. And my website, obviously. I, I don't unfortunately up, update my blog very much. And I, I think I've stopped actually the blog format, but I just put the post up under. So there's a section of my website called behind the scenes it's under fun stuff and then underneath you've got behind the scenes and that's where I've put all the information about you know visiting Oxford where to see the settings of the books that sort of thing um, I've also put the recipes from the books in there and more about muesli for the people who are interested in her um, so that's sort of great yes yes look in the show notes that will go online with this podcast we'll put links to all of those pages so that if people are interested they can check with the show notes and find them easily yeah that's a good idea so wonderful Sinyi thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today it's been wonderful to hear about Oxford and all your adventures there and um, we'll be looking forward to this new series about gardens I will be with great interest oh good <laughs> I'm glad I've got someone already interested are you a keen gardener <laughs> I am oh good <laughs> Thank you so much for um, inviting me onto the podcast. It's been great. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And, and we'll keep in touch. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. 
Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.